Amen. All right. So I'm not preaching tonight, and I want an opportunity to introduce who is. Many of you are starting to sort of learn who he is. Um, Jared Rasmussen is back with us tonight. If you don't know who he is, I want you to get to know him, all right? He'll be around with us for the night. Um, but him and his wife are going to be, hopefully, prayerfully moving back in just a few months, and they're going to come help us with the ministry here. So Jared and Erica are going to be around for quite a while. That's our prayer. Um, Jared started out in our ministry way back when, when there was like eight of us meeting in the cafe. And uh, he, he, he was where you guys were, right? He was attending this ministry, wondering what the Lord had for him in life. And the Lord has been faithful to continue to lead him and guide him all the way through school and getting married. And now he's starting his Master's Divinity and feels called to, to discover if, if the Lord has called him to preach the word and to, to be a pastor. And we're going to give him that opportunity, right? So that's what we want to do. We want to equip disciples who are uh, centered on Christ, committed to discipleship and confident in God's word. And one of the ways we do that is to help you figure out how the Lord is calling you. And this is one of Jared's opportunities to come be with us in the word. So um, let's make sure that we welcome Jared. Come on up, man. Awesome. It's good to be back with you guys. I'm excited to open the word tonight. Um, I'll be honest with you. This was a tough one to write, Um, just to be real with you right away. I don't know what it was, but uh, tonight's a A message of encouragement is really what I am hoping the Lord reveals to you. But we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians 1, if you guys want to open there. Join you there in a minute. But uh, this is one of Paul's earliest letters that he wrote to the church in Thessalonica, which uh, was in the region of Macedonia, which is in Greece. And uh, this happened when he was on his second missionary journey when he visited them. And yeah, there's reason to believe that this was his very first letter that he wrote, uh, though it doesn't go in direct order. It is, uh, yeah, one of his first to a church that he actually planted. So before we really jump into anything that the scripture has for us, um, yeah, I really want to just address maybe those of you that are feeling pretty burdened or, or hurt from the world around you right now. Maybe, you know, those mid-semester blues are kicking in. The, the weather is nice, which always helps, but and you're just worn out from whether it's school or work or maybe just people around you, and you're just simply feeling tired and restless. This is a message that's for you. I want this to be an encouragement, like I said. And I think the Lord really wants to show us his glory tonight. I trust that he will. And I I really think the Lord's just going to place a mirror right in front of us. It's going to reflect his glory, but also going to show us our weaknesses, really reveal our shortcomings. But in doing so, I trust that just as quickly as he's going to show us the mirror, he's going to pull it away, and he's going to reveal the best parts of him, his true glory. He's going to show us the power of his gospel. He's going to show us the joy of imitating and adoring his son, Jesus. And he's really going to just reach out to us and witness and work within us through the power of the Holy Spirit tonight. So tonight, if if there's anything that you guys walk away with, I want it to be this. The big idea that the Holy Spirit sparks Christ-likeness. 
The Holy Spirit sparks Christ-likeness. That's what I want you to leave here with. I'd be doing a disservice if Christ wasn't anywhere in this message. So in Acts 17, we're shown how Paul plants this church in Thessalonica. Really, the letter shows what he was writing them to, or what he was writing to them about, if you will, but Acts 17 shows us why he was there and what took place while he was there. And in Acts 17 2, we're told by the, the author Luke that Paul and Silas were only with the Thessalonians for three total weeks, that, that he reasoned with them from the scriptures on three Sabbath days. This would be like the next three Sundays Paul was with them. And so there's a couple observations that we have to take account of, and there's three big ones that really point to why Paul is writing this letter and what it's about. So the first one is that the Thessalonians were young in their faith. For Paul, only being there for three weeks, they received the gospel and believed in Jesus Christ. In only three weeks. And then second, I want you to know that the Thessalonians were living in a pagan and hostile community. They were surrounded by Romans and Jews and Greeks that were all highly devoted to their pagan religion and pagan culture. These Gentiles that Paul is witnessing to, is, they're living in this. They're saturated in it, just like we are today. And then the last observation I want you to know is the gospel of Jesus was accepted by many, but hated by most. So those, the, though these Gentiles in the, the letter to the Thessalonians, they believed in the gospel, there were double the amount, if you will, of those that rejected it. So... Really, this church in Thessalonica was just extremely persecuted because of this. The gospel wasn't accepted then, and it's accepted now, but there's still those on the outside that don't understand it or still reject it. So you have these three observations that culminate in in these three ingredients that come together to reveal that this brand new church of young believers living in a melting pot of clashing cultures are surrounded on every side by persecution. So you have these three ingredients that don't really make up a recipe for success in terms of church planting. These aren't three ingredients that you'd be like, oh yeah, that church will definitely succeed. And the reason I tell you this is because I want you to see how the power of the Holy Spirit can produce life in the most unlikely of circumstances. So starting in verse 1, let's get into this. Got a lot to cover, so we'll move pretty quick. Verse 1 there. This is God's word. It says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit 
and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. So tonight I want to give you three actions of the Holy Spirit that are found in these verses. And uh, I really want to show you just how those three actions lead us as believers to become joyful imitators of Christ. That's why I titled the message the way that I did. There's, there's joy in imitation. So the first action tonight is the Holy Spirit grows our love. The Holy Spirit grows our love. So how did we go from a church full of young believers to a church that began with three ingredients that weren't necessarily key to success and then eventually become a church that is an, act, is an acting example to other believers in the region? Well, we see that On paper, this church was supposed to fail, and yet Paul is thanking God for these believers because of their work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope. So how did this church get here, but also how did we get here? How did we tonight, as Gentiles in a different culture, in a different time period, in a different country, get here? But we can look no further than addressing the power of the gospel, right? The reason we're here, the foundation, we just sang about it. The firm foundation of Christ is why we're here. And not just the power of this gospel, but the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of you. In the life of a born-again believer. Romans 10.9 actually tells us, That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Upon confession and believing in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Acts 2.38 tells us to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So if you have repented of your sin, confess that Jesus is Lord of your life, and believe God raised him from the dead, then you have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And what a gift it is. You're going to hear me talk about it all night. And this this Holy Spirit, Jesus described as a helper. He described as one that would help us draw near to the throne room of God. And these believers in Thessalonica were laboring for love because they were being directed by the Holy Spirit to love. They were laboring and working tirelessly to love Christ and to love one another. Even though we can assume that there were differences in their relationships. That person to person there were differences. Just like today. Just like you and I are different. The person sitting next to you is different. So true was it in Thessalonica. 
And so we can assume that these young Gentile believers who have only been sitting under the word of God for three weeks did not instantaneously love one another perfectly. We can all agree on that. It wasn't an immediate thing. It was something that had to be worked at. And the Holy Spirit grew their love first for Christ and then for one another. But tonight I told you this would be an encouraging message. And so I'm not going to stand up here and tell you how to love better, but I'm actually going to commend you in your love. You, you guys that sit in front of me, the ones that I've gotten to see for the last two plus years, some of you four or five. I've missed the opportunity to be with you. I have. We've been in and out a lot. I know it is only an hour drive, but it feels much further. I've missed you guys. But every time I come back, every couple of months, I enjoy seeing the Holy Spirit grow your love. To spur you on as you spur one another on. As you encourage one another in your faith and you welcome new members as a family who welcomes a new child. And honestly, most of you haven't been following the Lord for that long. In the grand scheme of things, it's only been the beginning stages, just like the Thessalonians. And yet, for some reason, you've grown in love. So I want you to see that the Holy Spirit is spurring you guys on to do this. He's giving you the ability. He's giving you his power so that you may become like Christ. So my prayer for you tonight is that you will be greatly encouraged by God's word and by one another. And if you're sitting here tonight and and maybe for the first time or for the 103rd or 4th time and you feel just depleted, You feel like you're running on fumes and maybe you're just tired. Well, I want to be the first one to tell you that you will never find someone or something else in this world that is going to love you more than Christ and his people. You won't find it. We've all tried. We've all failed. But who is it that guides us to Christ the Holy Spirit. And he does this through you. To get real for a second, a couple of you know this, but a few months ago, um, went through a pretty hard period in my walk with the Lord. About four months ago, I lost a close friend to suicide. And he was a husband He was a father of four. He served in his church weekly, if not daily. He was was a brother in Christ, I firmly believe. And I recall hearing the news on the last day of the fall retreat last year. Some of you were there. I remember getting the call and My dad called me around 6 a.m. that day. I remember just standing out on that gravel drive, beginning to question 
the Lord have questions that didn't make sense, that could not be answered? And soon enough, I found myself weary and broken. And I walked up that gravel drive and I went inside. And who was there? You. Christ's people were there when I was at my weakest. Christ was there working through his people when I was hurting the most. So tonight, you can continue to choose to keep to yourself. Or you could submit to the power of the Holy Spirit and rest assured in God's love and faithfulness. Because most of the time, God shows those through other people. He showed it through you when I was at my weakest. And he'll do the same if you rely and trust in your brother or sister sitting next to you. So this actually leads to application number one tonight. I want it to be encouraging, but I want you to walk away with application. So the first thing I want you to do is to pray for one another continuously. Paul mentions it there in verse 2. He says that he is praying constantly and mentioning them constantly in his prayers. Because praying for someone... It grows our love for them. You can't, you can't be on your knees praying for someone and not care for them. And you are led to pray for someone by the Holy Spirit, who's your helper. So because the Holy Spirit is within you, he's growing your love so that you can look like Christ. The second action of the Holy Spirit is this, the Holy Spirit convicts our soul. The Holy Spirit convicts our soul. I want you to look at verse 4 with me there. As Paul continues, he says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. So here we see Paul is, he's assured that, that God has divinely elected the Thessalonians. Why is he sure of it? Well, they believed after hearing the gospel. Simple as that. They didn't just hear the words of Paul and try to, try to leave the, the, the temple or leave the synagogue and, and go and try to be better people. They didn't just hear the words Paul preached and just carry on with their lives. No, they, they heard, then believed by being powerfully transformed by the Holy Spirit and by resting in the full assurance of the gospel. And there are actually two ways the Bible speaks of conviction. The first way is, uh, as we see here in verse 5, Paul uses it. And the Greek word he actually uses is pleraphoria. And this means to be totally assured or confident in the truth. So Paul here is commending the Thessalonians for their faith and love for God because the Holy Spirit has assured them 100% of the truthfulness of the gospel. 
So this means the Thessalonians trusted that Jesus really did come. He really did die after living a perfect life. He rose from the grave three days later. He ascended to be seated at the right hand of God. He will one day come again to gather the saints to himself. He will destroy sin and evil forever. And he will finally establish a new earth for believers to dwell on in the full presence of God. And this is the good news. This is the good news. Because when we're weak, we are made strong with the love of Christ. So the second use of conviction. So we have the first, which is to be totally assured. The second use of a conviction is when you sin against God and your Holy, the Holy Spirit in you lays the burden heavily upon your heart to lead you to repentance. And so let me just kind of diagnose this, give you guys a couple of examples. So when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, the Holy Spirit lays this heavy burden on them. And as they were hiding from God, they revealed themselves to him. As he was looking for them, they were convicted of their sin. It's the second use. The first use, like the Thessalonians here, who are assured of the gospel, is similar to Peter in Matthew 16. Because Peter, as he stands before Jesus, he was completely convicted, completely assured by the Holy Spirit that this man in front of him, Jesus, was the Messiah. He could say nothing else. He stood there as Jesus asked him who he was. And Peter said, you are the son of the living God. Total assurance. And verse 5 here shows that the Thessalonians, just like Peter, believed in the gospel, believed in Christ Jesus. So we have, to ask, we have to ask the question of what led them to trust this message. It's the same thing I've been saying all night. The Holy Spirit. The Thessalonians did not come to a saving faith by their own strength or on their own timeline. Because remember, Paul was only with them for three weeks. And in that short amount of time, an entire population of Gentiles believed in the gospel and a church was formed. So it wasn't on their own timeline, but it was the power of the Holy Spirit convicting them in their sin while also convicting them in the trustworthiness of the gospel. He's doing the same thing at the same time through two different actions. And if you sit here tonight and you're unsure that this Holy Spirit is still in you, the same Holy Spirit that was in these Thessalonians, let me assure you that the same Holy Spirit is within you. God does not change. For example, some of you may be led here tonight because you started to ask questions. You started to be led in a way that just wasn't satisfying. Like, what happens when I die? I've asked that one prior to knowing what my purpose in life was, I asked that one. Or why is partying not fulfilling anymore? Maybe you're coming off four years of college that served no purpose other than partying and, and you finally came to the end of yourself and questioned why it's not fulfilling anymore. 
when you've been doing the same thing for the last four years. Or maybe you're entering college and you begin to ask these questions right away. Or maybe, why isn't this girl or this guy satisfying my desires anymore? Or, or what is the purpose of my life? Why was I here? Why am I here right now? Maybe you started to be led to, to ask these questions and I trust it, that God's spirit is compelling you and showing you that you're here to live for something more than yourself. And God's word actually tells us this. In Isaiah 43, 6, he says, through his mouth, through God's very own mouth, he says, bring my sons from afar. Bring my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Or 2 Corinthians 3.18, it states that we are all beholding the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into his same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We behold his face by the Holy Spirit. And if you're looking for something to hopefully stick in your brain to remember the Holy Spirit by, I... I tried to come up with an illustration that was somewhat easy to remember. And if you go about this week, I want you to think of the Holy Spirit like a blacksmith. We're getting, we're getting ancient here. We're getting pirates. That's what we're getting. No, I'm just kidding. We're, we're getting blacksmith. Remember the Holy Spirit like a blacksmith because he's forging you. He's strengthening you. And he's transforming you into a tool for God's very own use. And honestly, sometimes this transforming work of the Holy Spirit's not pretty. Neither is the work of a blacksmith. Put on layers and layers of clothing because of the furnace that they're putting these blades into or this metal they're working into is hot. And the same is true for the rebuking and discipline of the Holy Spirit because he's doing it in love. He's refining you through the fire. And tonight, I think there's some of us here that maybe our sin has been revealed to us and we're choosing to hide behind it and we refuse to confess it. Maybe we're bottling it in because I don't want to show this person whom I care about, that I'm weak, that I'm not, I'm not strong in living a godly life all the time. So if you remember, I told you that I trust the word of God would be like a mirror in front of us tonight, revealing our weaknesses. So here it is. The Holy Spirit is holding that mirror up And rather than confessing that sin, we bottle it in and it produces this restlessness and this unneeded burden that just rips us apart from the inside out. And we choose to sit in our own condemnation that we put on ourselves. This isn't from God. This is our own. We choose to sit in it and just dwell in it in our own shame and guilt. And it produces this restlessness that we can't bear any longer. And so we refuse to believe the words that Jesus spoke to his disciples 
to the ones that he loved the most in Matthew 11. And he says, come to me. Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is indeed light. The last several weeks, you guys have gotten the opportunity to to really dive into the book of Jonah. And I've had the opportunity to listen um, and... Tonight, I want you to recall a little bit of what you know about Jonah already. He's a prophet chosen by God. Just like Paul says here that you were chosen, so Jonah was chosen. And Jonah felt the weight of God's word and spirit upon him. He felt it within him by the power of the Holy Spirit And rather than acting on it, rather than trusting on the word of God, what did he do? He ran. He ran to disobedience. He chose disobedience. He knew what was upon him. He knew what the very word of God said to him personally, and he ran to disobedience. Christ has chosen you tonight. If you sit here having fully put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, he has chosen you. And rather than trying to portray yourself as a good Christian, quote-unquote, the Holy Spirit is revealing that you've fallen short. Well, good news. Everyone here has fallen short. That's the good news tonight, but there's better news available for everyone here. And that's the gospel. But I really want to press in on the confession. If you have not confessed your sin to a brother or sister, I highly encourage it. I compel you to do so. And though it hurts, though it is not pretty, though it reveals our weaknesses, God's word is still there to comfort us. Because in Psalm 30, verse 5, he tells us that though weeping may last for the night, though you may weep through your confession, though it may hurt and it may feel like you're going through the fire, the refining fires like a blacksmith works in fierce heat, So the Holy Spirit has put you through, though you weep. God's word says that a shout of joy comes in the morning. A shout of joy. And it's in the form of a cross. For you. So yeah, confession hurts. And this is one of the weakest points in my walk with the Lord. And so speaking from experience Bottling it in is not going to make it better. Because the person that you're going to share it to, that you're going to confess it to, the brother or sister is still going to love you if they know what it's like to sin, and I trust that they do. But they know what it is to trust in the gospel. They know what it is to love the man that died for them. So let the Holy Spirit convict you it's a good thing it's a very good thing 
So look at verse 6 with me. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. So the final action tonight is the Holy Spirit compels our mission. The Holy Spirit compels our mission. And I want you to notice for a second that the Thessalonians became imitators of Christ in the joy of the Holy Spirit. The joy of the Holy Spirit. They weren't burdened, guys. They weren't trying to behave well. They were freed from sin and no longer held captive to moral standards. They weren't trying to live a moral and perfect life. They were joyful. And rather than standing up here telling you, all the ways you could be doing better in the spiritual disciplines or become better evangelizers or better disciples. I want to show you how the Thessalonians persevered in imitating Christ. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction. And what does it say there? With the joy of the Holy Spirit. They couldn't imitate Christ in their own strength. They couldn't put on this mask, hoping that it would cover enough. They couldn't faithfully work. They couldn't lovingly labor or hope steadfastly by believing in themselves. They couldn't endure persecution that they were under by picking themselves up by their bootstraps, if you will. Now they endured because they were filled with joy from the gospel. So much so that they became an example. A young church becoming an example to people in their region. So maybe you're feeling afflicted or feeling like your spiritual life is just running on fumes. You're on empty. I want to redirect your eyes to the one who fills us up. The Thessalonians were great evangelizers. I trust that they were great missionaries. I trust that they replicated Paul based on what the word tells us there. But in the simplest terms I can come up with, they simply loved Jesus. They wanted to honor the perfect son of God because he saved them. It's, it's very similar to a person that's drowning. This person is not joyful in their drowning, but joyful when the lifeguard pulls them from the water and resuscitates their life. They're joyful. They're thankful. They're grateful. And, and then it's, it leads this person to, to go and tell everyone, this person saved my life. Why would you not tell everyone? So if you are sitting here tonight and, and you want to be a better evangelizer and you want to be a better imitator of Christ, then you look no further than to the foot of the cross. If this is the news we're sharing, then this is the news we must rest in. 
Because it's the Holy Spirit that gives us the joy to love Christ. And like I've said, you've all been a great example of Christ to me in my life, in my walk with the Lord. Think of you guys weekly. But I want you to remember that you don't have to go to the ends of the earth to exemplify Christ. You don't have to go overseas to replicate him. Begins now. You can start here and now. When you go to work tomorrow, when you go to school tomorrow, when you wake up in the morning, when you go to bed at night, that's where it begins. And I pray, I truly pray that some of you in here go to the nations. Just like we prayed, I pray that the Joshua Project and those people on the screen would become your greatest desire. That you would love to see them come to know the full knowledge and salvation of the Lord. But that doesn't mean you have to go to the nations and begin exemplifying Christ because exemplifying Christ doesn't begin on the battlefield it begins on the home front amen it begins here so I urge you to continue to do as you have been doing I trust that the Holy Spirit's welling up inside of you and you guys are doing as you have been commanded, and you guys are doing it joyfully because I see what you're doing with one another in relationship. You're doing life together. That's what this is all about. So even in the mundane nature of life, even when the day-to-day just is, is really wearing you down, you can go through with it exemplifying him because of the Holy Spirit. So what would it look like this semester if we prayed for one another, if we rested in the freedom of Christ, and we asked the Holy Spirit to increase our joy in the gospel? I trust that the Holy Spirit will lead you to these if your greatest desire is to imitate Christ. I want to end tonight with words from Paul as he concluded his letter to the Thessalonians. We see the opening chapter, and I want to actually turn our eyes to the last chapter. It's going to be in verses 23 and 24. And if you're sitting here after listening to me and and feel like doubtful or really questioning whether or not this will happen, let Paul's very words Let God's very word at the end in his benediction be powerful and heartwarming because these are words of departure to a friends, to a group of friends full of the Holy Spirit. Paul says this, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. He will. He will never fail.
Meditate on, meditate on that this week, guys. No amount of thing that we do could ever lead to God's failure because he loves you. He's all-powerful. So I want you to take a few moments now to just really begin discerning and meditating on whether or not you are joyfully imitating Christ. Is it in joy or is it in penance and trying to, to pay for what you've done? Rest in the Lord now. We'll close in a little bit. I want to thank you for some of the ways that you convict us, the ways that you use the Holy Spirit in our lives. I want to thank you for the ways that you encourage us through your word and examples of that. Lord, I pray that you would continue to grow our love for one another and our love for you, that you would give us full conviction of, of what we do and why we do it. Lord, I pray that you would continue compelling us through your spirit to be on mission for what we are called to do through your word and what we see to do in your word. Lord, would you use what we've heard tonight and then what we have the chance to hear later tonight and after hours, would you put those together in a way that's just as mighty and allows us to walk forward in full faith of what you've given us who we are and, and how you've made us in Christ and how you formed us, Lord. Lord, continue to give us the blessing of meditating upon your truths and how they apply to our lives. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.